The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. He's right. It is the Employment Law Show. Skulls here along with employment lawyer Stan Feinzelberg and uh, working with and among the great employees at San Fiero to Market LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in Canada. You can check it out anytime you want. And uh, you can confirm that, uh, by the way, 416-870-6400, 416-870-6400. That is the number to call in to uh, this here show right now for the uh, entire time we are on the air. Use it. Call. Get the information you need. And uh, we'd love to have you call in and uh, express your concerns, questions, and otherwise to stand ready to take those. You want to email? It is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And we're going to go heavy on the emails tonight because we got to clean out the inbox once in a while. So we'd be doing that, Stan. But uh, first of all, the week that was, I know you got a couple things you want to chew on. So uh, go ahead, brother. What's uh, what's going on? Absolutely. Well, firstly, John, happy New Year to you. It's uh, my first time back on the show uh, this year. And happy New Year to all our listeners. So, yeah, I wanted to get to two particular things. And firstly, uh, you know, some unfortunate news, I think, from the employment law side of things, which is that uh, the government, unfortunately, has, again, extended the infectious disease emergency leave provisions. This time they were supposed to expire, as you know, uh, on January 4th, John. Unfortunately, they were now again extended until July 3rd, uh, which, you know, I, I feel really leaves a lot of workers in a very difficult position. I mean, you're talking about over a year for some people who have been out of work. Uh, and, and that brings me into the second uh, the second point that I want to talk about, which is I just wanted to get into a refresher with all of our listeners, with you, John, about the government programs that are out there right now that can help employees and businesses uh, try, to, try to get through this pandemic uh, and hopefully get through the year until they are back at work and back on their feet. Um, so the first one that I wanted to discuss is some of the big changes the government did uh, in the fall to the EI program. So once the uh, the CERB ran out, John, the, the government made some significant changes to EI to allow a lot of people transition from the CERB to EI who would not normally qualify. So, so firstly, they lowered the, the threshold for the amount of insurable hours you, you needed significantly, only down to about 120 hours uh, of work. And they also increased the maximum or the minimum benefit, sorry, under EI program to $400, with most cases qualifying for the maximum of $500. Okay. And one of the big changes really in, uh, on the employment side here is that as of September 27th, you know, if uh, if you're collecting EI and you get unfortunately terminated by your employer, or if you're not even collecting EI and you get terminated by your employer, there is no set off as of September 27th between EI and severance, meaning that people can go, go ahead and collect EI even though they're still getting a severance from their employer, something they could not do in usual circumstances. So uh, those are the big changes when it comes to the EI wow. program. I yeah. Uh, very significant, certainly an additional help, I think, for a lot of people who find themselves, you know, in an even more difficult position of not only having been laid off for potentially a long time, but also now losing their job uh, permanently. 
Uh, so the, the other major programs here, John, is the Canadian uh, recovery benefit. So right. for people who may not qualify for AI or people who are self-employed, contractors potentially, independent or dependent, um, they would qualify for the Canadian recovery benefit program. Uh, it provides $500 for up to 26 weeks as long as somebody's seen their work or income reduced by 50% or more. Okay. Yeah, another, I mean, this is this program was kind of created to fill that gap of a lot of people who wouldn't qualify for EI either because they used it up the, uh, used it up the first time, don't, mm-hmm. may not have the insurable hours, or may not be qualified because they're not considered employees by the Canadian Tax Revenue Agency. Yeah, I know it was a uh, it was a big stumbling block with a lot of people I taught that were self-employed. They were kind of hung out to dry, and they didn't really have an answer until, I guess, this point you're talking about now. But I think it's worth mentioning, too, that this is none of this really affects your, still your common law rights as far as being a, a, a part of the workforce in Canada, or at least in Ontario, right? No, no. These programs absolutely are just created by the government to help people mm-hmm. through this time while, you know, while people are essentially in businesses, they're trying to get people back to work. If you are terminated, at the end of the day, you know, none of these programs, not the pandemic itself, affects your common law rights and your ability to get and, and be eligible and you know, entitled to a fair severance. So these are just programs that are here to help individuals right now that, you know, I, you know, I know it's been a long time since we talked a lot about them because it feels like this pandemic's been going on for quite a long time. Uh, yeah. but I, I'm surprised, you know, how often I speak to people, John, who are not aware of this support that's out there. And, and that's why I want to go through these just to get people, you know, thinking about them and thinking, you know, if you're not sure, you should go and try, you know, apply. And, you you know, the government will tell you if you're eligible for a lot of these programs as long as you go through the, the, uh, the government websites and apply and enter the proper information. Look, if you're still a little uh, a little cloudy, a little fuzzy on the way it works just from that description, you know, call right now. I mean, there's an outlet for you to uh, to do that as well, 416-870-6400, 416-870-6400. Talk to Stan, ask him a question about that or anything else that's concerning your employment or lack of employment at this point during the uh, pandemic or anything else under that matter. would uh, gladly talk to you again, 416-870-6400. Email address, which we're concentrating on tonight, big time. Between the calls will be help at employmentlawyer.ca. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. That said, Megan is up first. She says, guys, I worked for a company for three years before I was uh, on maternity leave for a year. I returned in January 2020 until being laid off due to COVID in March. I'm wondering at the time I was cut off, uh, or at least I was off for maternity, and now due to COVID, it counts towards my service with the company. So that's a great question, Megan. Uh, firstly, I mean, whenever anyone's on maternity, it, that always counts towards your years of service uh, for your entitlement purposes. You know, even though even if you're not there, whether you're you know if you're on maternity, whether you're on a disability leave, whether you you've been laid off, uh, as, as a lot of people are right now during COVID, you're still an employee of the company, and the t- you know the the time that you spend on off on leave, that still counts towards your years of service with the company. Yeah, you're pretty protected, I mean, generally, but when it comes to maternity leave, I mean, there's no messing with mama, that's for sure. So you're uh, 
She's covered in that regard. By the way, you want to reach out to Stan or Lior, a member of their team, when we're not doing the show, one 821 5900 That is the process for getting that phone call done, one 821 5900 And there's always a website as well. We love it, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. A wealth of information on that website and spun into that website is the Good old severance pay calculator, which you've been hearing about for years on this show. That is part of pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, so feel free to take full advantage of uh, of that. We'll uh, get to another email before we break here and get some phone calls on. Liz writes in, says, guys, my partner's insurance company denied her stress leave application despite a written note from the doctor declaring she was unfit to work. Her company now wants her to return, but she's very stressed out, and her doctor is against it. What can she do? Yeah, this is something that I actually, we actually run into a lot, John, where companies, for some reason, think that because somebody doesn't qualify for disability coverage, that they must be fine, and their doctor is either you know not being honest or they're capable of returning regardless of what their doctor says. And then they start pressuring employees to try to come back to work, even though, again, like this individual, their medical physician, the person who's actually you know reviewing their med- medical uh, uh, file, is saying they're not capable of doing so. And, and, you know, in this instance, I would say that that person has every right to continue to stay off of work as long as it's being supported by their medical physician. Uh, At the end of the day, it's not the disability company or the insurance company that determines whether someone, you know, is eligible or is capable of going back to work. It's it's a qualified doctor. uh, And in this instance, if the doctor is saying that you can't work, then you don't have to return to work. The, the disability and insurance issue is, frankly, a different ma- issue, um, a different legal matter altogether between the insurance company and the the individual. It has nothing to really do with the employer in this instance. Yeah, by the way, uh, the firm also handles the disability side of things. And I know I mentioned the Pocket Employment Lawyer website. There's also a section there on disability law, just to put a finer point on it. So if you need to use that any time. Uh, you can do so. I want to get to Michael's call here just before we break. Mike, thanks for standing by for a moment. Good evening. How are you? Cool. Good. How, how's it going? I'm good. Um, good, brother. What's uh, what's on your mind? I had a quick question. So mm. if I if I run out of VI, because um, I applied back for um, in September, but I might be running out of it in the next couple months, and I go to BC to work um, part-time, because I still apply for CRA? The CRB? Yeah, the CRB, uh, sorry. Uh, so the, with the Canadian recovery benefit, I mean, it depends how much you would be working because you have to show a certain amount of reduction in income. Uh, if you do not, if you, let's say, meet that reduction, income reduction threshold, and one of the qualifications actually for the CRB is that you're ineligible for EI. So if you're not eligible for EI, it's kind of, this is a stopgap that allows you to, to keep collecting some money while you still haven't gotten your full-time work back. So yeah. you would okay. qualify in this instance, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, because last last year I did full time um, teaching snowboarding, and this year I have an opportunity to go out to BC, but it's only really part time. So I was wondering if I could do both. That way, I could actually move out there for a bit, and then yeah, yeah again, if you can show the income reduction that uh, is required to qualify, then you can. Uh, the program yeah. continues up till a certain point this year in June, I think. So it's also uh, a matter of whether you know the time you plan to go out there is after that point, and when your EI qual- runs out. Right. Okay, cool. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it, pal. Enjoy and uh, safe travels if you end up going out there. 
1-855-821-5900 if you want to carry on for a further conversation, Mike, to get a hold of Stan. But for you to call in now, just like that, for the remainder of the show, 416-870-6400, Employment Law Show, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome back to the show indeed. If you have questions about your employment rights, this is the show for you. As you know, if you've been uh, terminated or laid off, wrongfully dismissed, harassed at work, experienced changes to your job, uh, human rights issues, or have some other questions about severance, call the show now, 416-870-6400. And help at employmentlawyer.ca is the email address. If you simply go to employmentlawyer.ca, you'll catch links to our long-running television show there as well. Liz, you are up next. And Liz says, my partner's insurance company denied, uh, denied her stress leave application despite a written note from the... Oh, no. We were, did we already through that? We already covered that, right? I think that was the last one. I think we did, yeah. Yeah, that was the last one I did. I'm getting confused here. Jane is on next. Pardon me. Not Liz. Liz, you're done. Uh, Jane says, my husband has been on LTD for almost two years. Brain cancer. His company will be terminating his extended health care benefits once he has been on LTD for two years. Is this legal? You know, it sounds like, unfortunately, in this situation, it would, because in what it sounds like is going on here, John, is a policy that specifically allows the company oh. to terminate certain benefits after, in this case, two years. And in an instance like this where you have a policy that's not discriminatory itself, right, it applies equally to everyone, then it technically doesn't constitute a violation of this person's human rights to cut off their benefits after two years in this instance. So it's a different... Uh different thing there you want to reach out and get some further information by the way uh, jane you can do so one 821 5900 that is the way to do that but here and now it's 416-870-6400 we'll get to uh to bob hey bob thanks for standing by good evening hey bob. hey there hey, he is going? good pal yeah, how what's you doing? up good man well, Go I, ahead. I have a quick question for you i've been steady working but uh we're behind in our orders and my employer keeps telling me, like, one Saturday, two Saturdays a month, that I have to do overtime. Shouldn't he be asking me instead of telling me? Uh, well, you're right, Bob. I mean, anything over 44 hours, uh, and you have to essentially agree to it. I mean, nobody can be forced to work overtime in Ontario, and you have to consent to working overtime in this situation. Okay, like I've never, I've never turned down overtime, but I always like to be asked. I don't like to be told because I already give them the forty hours, right? Yeah, well, overtime starts at forty-four hours uh, in Ontario, just to be clear. But again, I mean, he should be asking you. Again, if you've established a pattern though where it's understood, sometimes it's just unspoken. I understand it might be nice to be asked, but I, I think that's probably what's going on here. Oh, okay, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Okay. I was, I was right. just, just yeah, oh, no, no, he hung up. Never mind. I, that, that's a good. That's an interesting point you brought about, though. Does because it sounds like he's worked it before. He just prefers to be asked, not told. But it sounds like he's done it before. So would that be after this? We don't know how long it's been, but it could be an implied uh, term of his employment now if he has a past history of doing it for his boss. Exactly. I mean, uh, as you know, John, I mean, they, a company can't just change your hours or make you work overtime. That's constructive dismissal. 
But if you choose to agree to it, you you know, for for an indefinite period of time, and then you want to all of a sudden say, actually, I'm not going to do that anymore. Well, you can't you can't do that either because you've condoned their authority to change those hours and to make you work that overtime. So yeah. Uh, yeah, if you're going to claim constructive dismissal, you have to do it at the time the change happens. If you don't, then you've accepted whatever change is being made to your the employment relationship. 416-870-6400 is the number you want to use to call and talk to Stan here now, just like uh, we've we've done so far the, uh, this evening. Tony's up next to an email, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Tony says... Uh, Having had received a recent severance, guys, would I be able to apply for EI without any penalties or clawbacks? Yeah, so this is a perfect, you know, perfect example of what I was talking about earlier, John, which is not enough people knowing about these programs and the changes that are being made to them. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier to our listeners, the EI program changed as of September 27th. Uh, there is no offset with severance, so you can apply for both of them and collect EI while you're collecting your severance at the same time. That's I can't believe it's September when that happened. It's been, it's been a really long year, I think, for everyone. <laughs> I think, because it's like, man, that kind of... Slowly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that kind of blew by. Like, what the heck's going on here? There you go. Uh, I want to get to Tatha now, writes in, says, uh, Hey, Stan, my employer refused to give me a raise. Refused to give me a raise. Can I quit and claim constructive dismissal? Good luck. So... Uh, in most instances, I would say here, it's probably not possible to claim constructive dismissal simply because your employer is not giving you a raise. Uh, nobody is entitled to a raise. Uh, the only kind of situation I can see where that would apply is if then, you know, you've got a 20-year history of your employer giving you a 5% raise every January 1st. And this mm-hmm. year, they decide not to. I mean, in that situation, you can say, that well, that's an implied term of my contract now after 20 years. And you not doing it, that, that's a constructive dismissal. Outside of you know a, a context like that, nobody's entitled to a raise, unfortunately, in Ontario. If your employer won't give you one, I tell this to you know employees all the time. Then you need to go out in the marketplace and get the you know the value that you think you have for your services. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you know, we've often said in the show, just like, you know, you can't, uh, you know, your lawyer can't be forced to give you a 25% raise. Well, they also can't take a 25% pay cut from your pay. It, doesn't, it works the other way around as well, right? They can't just yeah. dock you 25%. So it's, uh, you know, it's good in that regard, too. Uh, by the way, 416-870-6400, the number you want to use. Jay, thanks for, uh, thanks for calling in tonight. How are you? Not bad, not bad. Yourself? Good. What's on your mind? Okay, so I... I work for a construction company. I'm a driver. I drive a dump truck. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am I am self-employed. They they pay me. They pay to my corporation. So my question is, with new regulations coming out, whether tomorrow or Wednesday, uh, chances are we might get shut down. I'm not sure yet. Mm-hmm. But do I, do I qualify for anything? Yes, so you would qualify for that Canadian uh, recovery benefit, the CRB program. Um, okay. Again, it's, if I'm assuming this is the your only employer, so you would show enough of an income reduction. You have to show at least 50%. But as long as you show at least 50% income reduction, then you can qualify for that program. So when when can I apply for that program? Can I apply right away, or like do I like how do I prove that we got shut down? So it basically, you it start, the way you actually apply is through an attestation. You know, on the website, you basically 
swear to that the information you're providing is true at this time. And as I, I believe that they're going to go back and verify everything through uh, when when you do your taxes next year, presumably at this point, because it would be for 2021. But just to, to get started and apply, just go on the website online and, you know, answer a few questions. You know, you swear to what the, the information you're providing is true, and then you should qualify at that point. Okay. Jay, can I ask you a question? Do you, yeah. uh, are, are you, uh, are you working for them as a contractor? Is that what you mean? Yes. Yeah. Do you, is it, is it the only job you have Yes. with is. them? Stan. Yeah, no, I mean, that was obviously the other thing that was uh, jumping <laughs> off. But you know, it's, in this situation, I mean, be, he's not being terminated, right? So he's being right. forced by the government shutdown out of work. It mm-hmm. becomes a little bit more nuanced. But, Jay, I mean, right. if, the point that John is driving at really is that you're more than likely either an employee or a dependent contractor. And if you were ever, God forbid, terminated from your from your job, uh, you would be entitled to a severance package in that situation. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking. But keep in mind, moving forward, Jay, just in case that ever uh, ever comes yeah. down the uh, the pipe. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate the call. How about I didn't I didn't want to ask, but I assume he's probably taking care of his own taxes and stuff too. This could get him into some hot water. We talk about this all the time, right? Yeah. Uh, in terms of with the CRA and how that would yeah. work out. Yeah. I, yeah. It's a really, you know, weird relationship between employment law and tax law. And, and even in some situations where someone may qualify as an employee under employment law, that may not necessarily be true for tax purposes. So, it, Interesting. yeah, it, it's, a, it's a weird relationship with the courts are, I would say, still trying to figure it out and uh, find the balance. So there you go. Just wondering. Always got to throw it out there just because he said, you know, he's uh... – Put put through his, his corporation and all that stuff, so I wasn't too uh, wasn't too sure. Look, we still got tons of time for you to make a phone call too. Bring it on, just like Stan and everybody else has. It's uh, Jay and Bob and all of them. It's four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. The night is still early. We got lots of time, and uh, we're talking through some emails as well. We're trying to get the inbox uh, whittled down a little bit. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. That's the address we refer to. James says, "Can I be terminated during the infectious disease emergency leave period, or does my employer have to have to recall me?" After after my layoff, yeah, I, I've actually heard this one uh, recently as well. With the yeah. the or people uh, people thinking that there were regulations that were ending, and they thought they were all going to be recalled back to work. And I mean, the, the short answer is that no. You, this the IDL does not guarantee somebody a job. Um, it's you know it's basically a breathing space for the company to try to figure out if they can hopefully bring that person back. But if they ultimately can't, it you know, the government does allow people to terminate uh, or be terminated in this situation. But then at the same time, you know, if you're being terminated, you're still entitled to a fair severance package. And that's true regardless of the financial situation of the company, John. I mean, unless it's in bankrupt, you're you're one of its liabilities and it is required to pay for all of its liabilities. And that would include your severance package. Good stuff. You want to reach out, by the way, after the show, get a hold of Stan and his uh, his knowledge. He'll talk to you. No problem. one 821 That is the way you go about that. But the phone calls are always top priority here, as you know. 416-870-6400 is the way. Neil, you are up next. Good evening. Uh, good evening, guys. I'm sure you probably answered this before. I don't listen all the time. But if I was required at work to take the vaccine or they came to me and said, you must do it, and I said, no, I don't want to, can they fire me for that? That's a great question. 
great, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of discussion around this. It's a very hot topic, and I would say that more, you know, they can't fire you. Uh, I'm assuming you're not working in like a very high risk, you know, something like a long-term care home where if you're a frontline worker who's refusing to take the vaccine and putting potentially others in a significantly uh, higher risk, then you know there might be a question. But in your situation, I would say they certainly can't fire you. But they might be able to let you, you know, require you to stay home, and and just until you know something gets figured out one way or the other, unless unless the gov- uh, if the government passes some new laws or something like that. Uh, but I would say they can't fire you. They probably can let you, you know, require you to stay home, though. Well, I well actually, that, that's a good question. Um, in, in I'm in the trucking business, and I'm just wondering in a case like that. Yeah, if they would do that. If they made me stay home, would I be entitled to any compensation for that? I would say probably not because it's a, you know, it's almost like a frustration of contract situation where you're refusing to, to come back because you're essentially, you know, it would be, a, I'm, I'm assuming you're doing something like a health risk. That, you know, I, I don't want to take the vaccine because it's a health risk to me. And, and similar to how, you know, people were allowed to stay off of work in certain situations because they were afraid or at higher risk for COVID, you know, you you can you, you can be required to stay off work as well or be allowed to stay off work, but at the same time you're not being terminated, you're making the choice not to get the vaccine in that situation. Okay. All right. And, and then so far as the health care, because I know someone who's actually in, uh, not long-term, but in seniors' place, and similar situation. They, they've gone through once and asked people if they would take it. Some staff said yes. Some staff said no. And so far, they're not forcing it. But I would assume then that they can force it. And if uh, my friend said no, they didn't want to take it, then again, the same situation would apply. Yeah, I would think, uh, like I said, I would think there's even a greater risk there that they could be terminated because, or, you know, in that situation, a long-term care home where there's such a heightened risk, it could arguably be insubordination in that situation. Um, okay. But most long-term care homes are also unionized as well, so a lot of these kind of battles are going to be happening between employees and unions trying to determine what's the right line to draw here. I mean, certainly I don't think anybody wants to implement a mandatory vaccine mandate or anything like that. Uh, But, you know, similar to how nobody wants to implement a mandatory uh, lockdown mandate, but we've all seen how things have progressed on the the lockdown side where it's become more restrictive by by necessity. And I I fear that's kind of what's going to happen with vaccinations as well. People voluntarily continue to opt out of that, uh, that choice. Yeah, that's kind of my sense that uh, perhaps down the road we're going to be voluntold uh, as opposed yeah. to anything. I, I, I'm kind of getting that sense. It's not it's not like I or we or anti-vaxxers or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's just that we would, we're a little concerned because you hear stories as well. This is so new and we really don't know the health ramifications of actually taking this. And that, that's kind of my concern. Yeah, I so think there you go. valid. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty, um, but at the same time, you know, I think it's, it's being it's being approved by medical professionals, and we've had vaccines for hundreds of years. Yeah, we know they work, uh, and you know, <laughs> sometimes I think it's a leap of faith that has to be taken. 
Yeah, RNA-based vaccines have been used before and are still used. That's what it's based on. So I think I don't have any I don't have any mistrust with the actual vaccine itself. Now the timetable to get it that might be a little shaky, but uh, yeah. that's yet to be seen. You know what I mean, Peter? You're a you're a good man for standing by. How are you tonight? Good. How are you? Good, sir. What's on your mind? Uh, I'm uh, work for a manufacturing company. I, I'm their VP of finance. Have been there for 21 years, and they want to severance me out. The company was acquired four years ago by a U.S. company, okay. and they at that time uh, signed me on to a new contract that was for three years, which that contract basically, I guess, would have ended a year ago, but I continued to work at the same pay and benefits, mm-hmm. and now now they're severancing me out. Uh, that contract had a 12-month severance stipulation in it, is that contract still valid? When I... Uh, I would say that contract is not valid, uh, but I would also say that because it's not valid, you're, you have common law rights. And depending on what that contract says and how, what kind of sale it was, you know, you might be, there's a good chance you're a 21 year employee and you would be entitled to significantly more than 12 months. So in your situation, I mean, firstly, it would depend on the sale, whether it was a share uh, share purchase or an asset purchase. Uh, then it would depend on what that contract said. And did you sign anything after that contract expired, or you just kept working without anyone bringing, bringing it up? Uh, just kept working, and nobody yeah. gave me any new contract to sign. Yeah, I would more than I would say pretty strongly you're probably a 21-year employee. And uh, they need, if they're not considering you in that light and providing you with a severance package that's reflective of 21 years, then I would strongly suggest you call us and uh, have a discussion with one of our lawyers who uh, I'm sure can definitely help you out. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Peter. Appreciate your time. And here's how you're going to do exactly that. Reach out to Stan and his team. It is 1-855-821-5900 and help at Employment Lawyer. .ca, that's the email address, Pete, so make sure you write that down and use I'll give it again a couple more times before we uh, we get out of here. Katrina's up next. Uh, Katrina says, I and my husband own a trucking company that ships freight throughout North America. One of our drivers has been missing a lot of time, making it very difficult for us to schedule shipments. How much time can an employee miss before I can terminate their employment? That's a great question. I mean, I think to break it down a little bit, I mean, I think there's a, it's a multi-part uh, question and answer. Because firstly, the question is, well, why are they missing time, right? Uh, it's the difference between culpable absenteeism and non-culpable absenteeism. So, you know, if they're missing time because of health appointments, uh, if they're missing time because it's COVID-related or, you know, day, uh, child care, elderly care related, those are all protected absences. And certainly you can't rely on any, any of those to establish uh, a reason to terminate because that would be a violation of various statutes. Uh, if we're talking about just an individual non-culpable absenteeism, missing time for really no good reason, then you kind of have to determine, okay, how long have they been there for and how much leeway do we need to give them and how many warnings have we given them? If you've gone through the process of disciplining them a few times, uh, especially if they're a short-service employee, and they're still not changing their behavior, then at that point I can, would absolutely say you can terminate them uh, for cause and not have to pay them out of severance. Now, if we're just talking about terminating them because you don't want them around anymore, uh, 
but not necessarily for cause and just paying them out. Well, you could do that at any time, of course. Uh, again, as long as it's not related to any sort of discrimination, uh, any sort of protected leaves under the Employment Standards Act, we're talking only about non-culpable absenteeism, uh, absenteeism at the end. Need more information? By the way, you've got the email address right there, of course. But uh, the phone number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Get to a, a couple more here. Uh, Eric, you're up next. Thanks for uh, thanks for chiming in. Says, guys, I'm 68 years old, but want to keep working for, uh, for many years. My employer keeps asking me about when I intend to retire. Are they allowed to ask me this? So these, that's actually one of the few questions that they can ask an employee. Is, uh, you know, the law recognizes that companies need to plan for the future, and you know, certainly they recognize that if an individual is older, they probably have less working life left than someone who's in their 20s. So, uh, you know, certainly at the age of 68, you know, if your employer's trying to plan around your potential retirement, especially if you're a very integral part of the business and they need, you know, potentially even train somebody who's uh, when you're ready to go, uh, they're allowed to ask you when you're planning to retire without necessarily that constituting age discrimination. Right. But they're asking it repeatedly, which is what seems to be implied in this email. You know, then you uh, look at the intent. Well, why are they asking it repeatedly? And there could certainly be some discriminatory intent behind that question. But the question itself, you know, it asked in good faith, is not itself age discrimination. So there you have your answer. I hope that uh, hope that helped. We'll get to one more here before we uh, we go in a, in a couple minutes here. Oleg writes in, says, I own a small business and my landlord has refused to apply for the rent program, uh, rent support program that the government has been offering. Is there anything I could do to force him to apply for this program? Wow. Uh, well, well, this is uh, something I was looking into when I was researching the earlier piece. The rent support program, they actually changed some of the the rules and the eligibility and application processes around it. So no, you don't actually need your landlord to apply for this program anymore. Uh, as of, uh, I believe, November 23rd, renters and property owners directly can apply for the program without I'm having kidding. to go through their landlords. Yeah. Um, wow. That, you know, that was certainly one thing that, you know, I think they, they heard a lot of, the government heard a lot, a lot of criticism on. Uh, the fact that you know, a lot of landlords were refusing to apply for these programs and people weren't getting the relief they needed from, the, from this program in particular. So uh, they changed, it looked like they changed some of the rules around it in, in November. And now as a renter, you can apply directly. You don't have to go through the landlord. You know, we're going to uh, we're going to call it there for an evening. Thanks so much, Stan, friend. Thank you for your phone calls as well, all the input tonight. Uh, we mentioned a few times, but I always like to give it out because people need to know, don't they, the number to get a hold of Stan and his crew and Lior and the rest of the team. No problem. 1-855-821-5900. Again, 1-855-821-5900. Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca and the website you use anytime, as you know, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca as well. We'll catch you next time. That'll be Wednesday night here on the Employment Law Show, but do not go anywhere. On Point is coming right back. Alex Pearson is up right here on Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.